Hello and welcome to another episode of the Detox Podcast, a culture and conversation podcast where you can detox from the world around you and get a window into how other people live their lives. Come detox with Detox. I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and on today's episode, I had the absolute pleasure of speaking to Eric and Julia Leewald, the showrunners of X-Men, the animated series from, yes, that series from the 90s. Na, 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 na. Yes, that's right. You have it in your head now. You can't get it out. And we discussed all things X-Men. We talked about the origin of the series. We talked about the books that they've written that detail the history of the X-Men, give you some art. It's absolutely fantastic. You're definitely going to enjoy it. Before we get started, I do want to let you know that today's sponsors of the podcast are Empire Toys and Snuffy. So Empire Toys, nostalgia is something everyone loves, and Empire Toys in Keller, Texas is on Nostalgia Overload. With toys and action figures from the 70s, 80s, 90s, and today, Empire Toys is a one-stop shop for a trip down memory lane and a chance to reclaim what was once yours, but likely sold at a garage sale. Like an X-Men toy? Check out Empire Toys on Facebook, Instagram, or at TheEmpireToys.com. And Snuffy. Snuffy is a clothing brand about empowering you to show your weird unapologetically with bravery and confidence. 10% of profit goes to LGBTQ plus organizations led by trans people of color. Shop online now at snuffy.co. That's snuffy, S-N-U-F-F-Y dot C-O. The owner and operator of Snuffy is good friend of the podcast, Nick Silvestri, who designed the Detox Podcast logos. If you like the logo and you want to go check it out, go visit snuffy.co. Now, if this is your first time coming and listening to the Detox Podcast, welcome. We hope you enjoy it, you stick around, and that you listen for a long, long time. If you are a returning listener, welcome back. We hope the next 45, 50, 60 minutes you're able to just detox from the world around you and get a window into how other people live their lives. Now, here at the Detox Podcast, we do ask if you like the show, feel free to subscribe, rate, review, share the podcast with a friend. It really helps out independent podcasts such as this one. Thank you for all of your support. And now, without further ado, my conversation with Eric and Julia Leewald from X-Men, the animated series. What's going on? My name is Joe Shaw, and I host the music podcast After the Encore. After the Encore is a long-form career retrospective podcast that takes you behind the music of some of your favorite artists. Musicians like John Oates of Holland Oates, Chris Kirkpatrick of NSYNC, Jarrett Reddick of Bowling for Soup, and many others. Each season of the podcast is themed around a different topic, like the boy bands of the 90s, badass women in music, or even artists that were featured on the TV show, The Voice. I am committed to taking you deep inside an artist's mind to find out why they do what they do, what does music mean to them, and how do they quantify success. We tell an overarching story which will take you not only behind the music, but into the psyche of the artists themselves. After the Encore is a proud member of the Roberts Media Group podcast family, Check us out on any of your favorite podcast platforms today. Welcome back to the Detox Podcast. With me at this time, or should I say previously on Detox, (laughs) I am here uh, with Eric and Julia Lee Wald, and we're talking X Men, and I am 
beyond excited for this episode, but I want to start out. So Julia, Eric, thank you for coming on the show. How are y'all doing today? Well, thank you so much for inviting us and having us here on the show today. Yeah, we're doing, we're, we're doing great. We're out here in sunny California, and you're there in in, in the heart of Texas. Uh, yes. I grew up in, in Irving and Euless, so you're you know I those are my little stomping grounds there. I think that's so fantastic. It's moments like this where you realize how small the world truly is when you start talking yeah. about the HEB, and we start. I mean, not you know, I'm talking all the time, and I'm like, yeah, I'm Dallas, Texas, Fort Worth, Texas, depending on who you're talking to. And then someone's like, no, 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 I'm from the Metroplex, <laughs> and they use the the word Metroplex, and you're like, oh, you do know, you are from around here. So when we were talking, and you were like, no, I know exactly where you're at. I'm from there. I appreciated it. I'm super excited about that. So here at the Detox Podcast, uh, we invite listeners to quote-unquote detox from the world around them for 45 minutes, 50 minutes, however long the show is, and try and get a window into other people's souls. And uh, and so I want to tee up this episode and ask a question that I like to ask all my guests, and that is, what are you currently detoxing from? Does an entire global pandemic count? Yes, <laughs> always. I never thought I'd live to see something like that. And then, woo boy, it, it, it happened. Boy, howdy. Yep. 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 You know, and, and, but, but we are detoxing with uh, a, a, a rescue doggy here that we just got three weeks ago. Who, so, who may interrupt us? Yeah. We're, it's we're, a hundred pound German shepherd that oh, is just uh, set up, yeah. set up uh, housekeeping at <laughs> our, our place about a week ago. And we didn't really have any place to put him. So, if you hear a whine or we will try and yeah he if he gets too loud for audio let us know and we'll, we'll try and yeah. don't let him do that all good i think it you never know when you're gonna get surprise guests on the show right there you go, there you go. <laughs> so so yeah detoxing from the pandemic with a rescue dog how's right. that? Is that you know i think yeah yeah we're, it's it's uh of all we we, we laugh, but we have a nice place here. So staying at home for the last year wasn't that stressful f- for us, but it's just, it's just going out and having someone serve you a meal. Yeah. Oh, we missed that. God, that was our big treat, you know, for, uh, for the week would be to go out for lunches. Yeah. We work from home. We work at, we're, we have a home office where you know, we do, where our, we are right do now. our writing and, and uh, yeah, so no, no, uh, no lunch breaks, so. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, no, we, uh, and we'd like to travel again. I mean, there's there's, there's a lot lot to do in this country. Yeah. So yeah, didn't get to do any of that. Yeah. It's it's so crazy to me. I was having this thought the other day, and my kids are six and four, and I think the last time, so we were fortunate that we were able to take a a vacation with them recently. So post vaccination and everything. However. It was at that moment that I was reminded of how long it had been since we'd had a, va- uh, a vacation. I almost had a vaccine, but well, true, but a vacation. And I was trying to remember like, okay, here's the stuff we got to pack in the car. Here's how we got to plan on the trip. And then it's like, no, wait a minute. That was that was almost two years ago. They're totally different kids now. You know, they're, they're self-functioning. And it's, you know, I'm used to like little kids and they're still little, but it, relatively they're not four and two, they're six and four. And so it's- Oh yeah, yeah absolutely whole... different stages. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And you're just reminded of how, how much time it felt like we lost over the last 15, 16 months during all yeah. of this. I only hope we don't forget. And I know we yes. will. We don't remember anything as a culture, <laughs> as a human being. We just, no, it's, it's, yeah, nah, nah. But, uh, but 
looking 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 better these days and we've we've streamed about everything we could stream on tv yep and, yep and ready to start going back to the movies and going and, out into and, the world and, and and seeing our friends for dinner yeah that'll be nice you know, you bring up streaming, and that's a great segue because so many people started, myself included, when the pandemic was going on, instead of diving into a lot of new stuff, it was more of let me dive into stuff that has a nostalgic quality and this this familiarity aspect. And it was, you know, I saw something the other day that talked about watching something we've seen before allows us the ability to to regulate our emotions. You know, we know exactly how the story is going to end. We can prep for that. We can immerse ourselves in it without this, in a world in which everything was new and we weren't sure what was happening next, to have something that we knew the outcome was a bit of a comfort factor. And so one of those shows was, of course, X-Men, the animated series. So I love that. And I introduced my kids to it for the first time during the pandemic. And I was, you know, it was interesting to me because here's a show that I loved so much and my wife loved as well. And so we're introducing it to our kids and my daughter's like, what is this? And then it was at that moment that I was like, oh, I haven't done a good job properly introducing the X-Men cast to you. She knows about Spider-Man. She knows about Batman, but she didn't know who Cyclops was and Storm and Wolverine and all these characters. So she's watching it and she's learning and she's trying to understand. And then the episode ends and she's just been taking it in. And I go, I don't know if this is going to resonate. And it ended and we, were, we started with the Phoenix Saga. That was always our favorite. So we started with the Phoenix saga and the first episode ended and she's like is the next one starting like can we watch the next one and we watched the entire phoenix saga in one sitting because she was just hooked and she was into it and i loved it and so i want i want to just dive right in spend a lot of the time talking about this and so if if we could do a little bit of background on your origins of coming to this project and i know you've probably talked about a million times you've written a couple books about it but yeah what's the background on coming to this project and just getting it off the ground because it seemed very um like the first of its kind in a lot of respects yeah yeah well we we all we owe it all to a woman named margaret lesh who she's was a superstar just recent just recently retired she was a superstar in kids programming she worked at Hanna-Barbera for a long time and and ran the best shows there. Then she was at Marvel Productions for five or six years. That's where she got close to Stan Lee. Mm -hmm. And she, uh, when she was at Marvel, she was the president of Marvel Production in the early 80s. And she got shows on the air. She got wonderful shows on the air. I'm trying to think of... uh, Um, Muppet Babies was, you know, they they did a lot of good production work. Yeah, yeah, some top shows. But she said she couldn't sell Marvel to save her. She couldn't sell, sell, yeah, or sell, or sell X Men or, or any Marvel. Yeah, any Marvel. Uh, and it just was not something that there were only three networks at the time. It's, mm-hmm. it was a, seems like eons ago. <laughs> it was, but that's uh, true. And none of them thought uh, that uh, Marvel shows or superhero shows would do well. They saw that little tiny. That's a small group of people that read the comics. We need seven or eight times that size of an audience. Mm-hmm. It's stuff's too adult it's not going to play there are kids on saturday morning so she would pitch these things and they would turn her down and she she looked at stan introduced the x-men comics to her because she she didn't know them either so this would be like the best marvel property of all she she got it right away you know how a sense of being an outsider if you're uh, an adolescent kid whatever it is people hating you for just becoming who you are yeah yeah being the other and and all the 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 confusions of growing up she got that right away and from for seven or eight years she was pitching it 
to ABC, NBC, CBS. Yeah, could, those could, were the big couldn't three. get on the air. And so she actually took some money from another uh, series and said, look, I'll show you how good it can be. And she produced Pride of the X-Men, a one-off. Which you can find online. Which, and, yeah, yeah, you have to get an old VHS copy of it. And so to sure that is, if people just saw a nicely animated show about the X-Men, it would sell. Well, it just it happened that the people that were in charge of the content of that show. Who weren't, Margaret was working for them at this time. Yeah, she wasn't yeah. in charge. You know, she was, they all had various agendas. Oh, we need to sell toys. We need mm -hmm. to introduce 30 characters. They kind of overwhelmed the story. And the people that walk, look at Pride of the X-Men say, oh, no, I'm not going to buy this. It's, it's a, it didn't work. That didn't work. For example, um, some of the higher-ups decided that at that time, in that year, 1989, Crocodile yeah, Dundee was the biggest box office hit. And they decided no kid knows what a Canadian accent sounds like. Right. Make Wolverine Australian. And you and we laugh about it now, but, but it's, the, that the, was a decision that got made. Those creative on. decisions you know, kind of sank that project. So yeah, she's so. still frustrated. She then gets hired. She and her right-hand man through a lot of this, a guy that I had worked with early in my career named Sydney Iwander, get hired on it at uh, Fox Kids. She gets hired on Fox is creating itself. Fox Network didn't exist. They were they're trying to become a network yeah. through buying up syndicated uh, stations across the country okay. and UHF channels, trying to create their own mini network. And so they set up a kids division. They hire Margaret to be president. And she says, the first two shows that I want to make sure to get in production are X-Men and Batman. And so she said, and, and, and you know, Spider-Man down the line. And, uh, yeah. Okay, so she gets... Uh, now, in the meantime, there were shows like uh, Bobby's World uh, yeah. and Life with Louie yes. and uh, Beetlejuice next, uh, the last right. season, that they had that they were using on Fox Kids, but she was, to make it a Fox Kids property, mm. uh, Batman and X-Men were going to be the two we're, we're, we're two. Yeah, well, yeah well, I mean, she obviously, she had to fill up the yeah. Saturday sure. morning. For, yeah. She just knew it was going to take a little while to develop these shows, to get these shows right, but she mm -hmm. just thought these could be you know, great show. So, and she, she had a perfect instinct for this. So I, uh, I'd been working in the business six or seven years and Julie had been working business three or four years. We had met at Disney at, TV animation for the Disney afternoon shows back oh, in the late eighties. Right. Yeah. I was writing oh. for, uh, uh, Chippendales Re rescue Rangers, rescue Rangers and, and tailspin and Dark yes. Duck and Ducktales and Winnie the Pooh, Winnie which the Pooh. Our favorite. Yes. So <laughs> we were there three years and met there, met there, uh, got engaged there, got and got married there, and then uh, entered the world of the freelance yeah. universe. <laughs> and my, the first thing I got after after we all after we left was doing Beetlejuice for for Fox. And doing, story doing, yeah, being like the supervising guy there for for the last season of Beetlejuice. And so I'd done uh, a show for uh, for Sydney and Mark for, mm -hmm. for for Margaret Lesh and Sydney, and when when they got the breakthrough, they had to cobble together. People still didn't believe in X-Men. Her boss, her, the head of Fox didn't believe in it. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the, that, the television stations around the country, the Fox, you know, the affiliates didn't believe in it. The advertisers didn't believe in it. What is this dark stuff with these people, ferocious people fighting each other? They said, kids, you know, kids won't buy cereal and toys if they're watching this. They're going to turn it off. So, but she just said, look, now, we're going to do this show come hell or high water and put her job on the line. And so when she got cobbled together, the financing for it. And it was cobbled. And it was cobbled. <laughs> and so it was a, it was a modestly uh, priced production. Uh, she and Sydney 
just said, okay, well, okay, well, we're set. We've got the artists. We know the artists we want to do the show because they were people that all worked for Marvel production before that all, most of them worked for Pride of the X-Men. Will Minio, Larry Houston, top of the field. Yeah, Greg Coburg, all these people that had been in the business 15, 20 years and really were comic book crazed people and knew the X-Men and backwards and forwards. Mm-hmm. But luckily I'd done this, this show for them and I'd done a little work for Sydney earlier. And so they, they just, I didn't really know the X-Men. Julia didn't know the X-Men. And I got called the night before the, the, the kickoff meeting for the show and said, you're going to do the X-Men. And I said, because you've been hired under the guise of doing a different show for them. And the night before you're going in for that meeting, you're called and I, said, nah, no, you're not it, doing that one. And it's, and it's Sunday night and it's, okay, you've got to pitch yourself to Stanley and Haim Saban and all these people. That's right. Saban in was involved with that. As yeah, the yeah. that's going to be designing this, you know, the, the stories for this show. And I said, uh, that's a Marvel comic right i don't really know this that they just said you know just shut up and nod your head and we'll get through the meeting and it'll be cool it's just that we trust that you've got a feeling for heroic stories you'll you'll get it and we got all these people that know the x-men so including so don't worry about (laughs) so yeah i was just kind of thrown in the deep end and we were just and we were told okay we're behind it's february we need something for september we're already two months behind quick you know throw a world together come up with 13 stories Let's get going. And believe, and at that time, there was no confidence the show was going to go beyond 13. It was assumed it would be 13 and it would fall on its face and, and in, that would be it. And in fact, all the creative staff was let go after we wrote and drew, drew it. Yep. <laughs> there's, there's a lag <laughs> oh. time of a few months while it's being animated mm-hmm. that you're waiting to, to find out if there's going to be more work. And instead of keeping us on because they knew it was going to be successful, the contracts were just for one season. And so they we, assumed it would not work. Yeah. And so we just went and we were off doing other jobs mm-hmm. when word came back, oh, look, it's premiered and it's it's number one show on, you know, and, right. and <clears throat> can you guys come back, please? And <laughs> most of us could, not everybody. Uh, uh, we lost some good people. Exo Squad was happening over at Universal Studios at the time. And that's where several uh, yeah. of the X-Men uh, people ended up. Writers and artists will stayed over there. My art. My two main writer guys for the first season, Mark and my, Michael Edens, uh, stayed over there and uh, continued working on Exo Squad for a year. And we, you know, we couldn't get it back. You're talking about the Phoenix Saga. Mark and Michael wrote that. Yep. Oh, with me, awesome. of course. And they all wrote with me. But uh, most of the time, mm-hmm. we were in such a hurry that if we had five partners, I would have to give it to five different people. Mm-hmm. And th- when we did this one, we had some extra lead time, a few months extra lead time. I said, well, can I get just, these are the guys that I trust the most. Can I just get these two guys to do the entire five-parter? And they said, sure, cool. And they just gave me an extra month, basically, well, to, and, to get to get to do it that way. And when you got when you came back from that first meeting saying, okay, you're going to do the X-Men, you and Mark Edens sat down basically at our dining room table and came up with what became the, the, the underpinnings of the, right. the story, the, the stories for X-Men, the animated series. And you guys coming up with how the stories would read, who the characters would be, all that stuff had to happen very fast. Yeah. For example, over at Warner Brothers, Batman the Animated Series was, you know, uh, we were sort of you know leaving the train station at the same time, but they got to leave a year earlier. They already had a year's development in anticipation of the September start date. You and had to- we had about like a week yeah. to do the same amount of stuff. Yeah. And there was no internet at the time. That's right. So- yep. I had to get, you know, friends that knew the books to to Xerox, <laughs> you know, who all the characters are, get, you know, some 
uh, reference books, Marvel reference books, like uh, saying who meant what to whom and and who had been good and who had been bad and how they changed over 30 years of the comics. And so there was some serious, quick learning of this whole history. And the more we got into it, the more we thought, oh, God, this is a great opportunity. We've got a young company that Fox wanted us to push the envelope of what a kid's program could be. Mm-hmm. And we've got all these artists that have been wanting to do this for 20 years and are not going to be told to dumb it down or or make somebody Australian who's not Australian. You know, the, the line's going to be drawn in the sand, but those guys have been burned one too many times. Right. And we're looking at the opportunity. We can tell really adult heroic stories. And you were encouraged. And we were encouraged by our nine out of 10 times we're doing a show. The notes we get from executives are make it younger. This is too ch- challenging. This is too complicated. Stop, stop, stop. Remember, we met at Disney. I mean, there were very strict rules. <laughs> there there, there about... were strict rules about where the stories could go and what the characters could be and what, you know, the, the, the emotions they could have. And the, in this case, it was no, push it. You guys want to push it, push it farther. And so it was just, we on the writer side realized what a gift this was going to be. And so it was wonderful. It was, it was a real opportunity for us. We were just dumb and lucky enough too, uh, as as a writer on this, you have uh, credit on on every episode, developer television, uh, story editor, uh, Eric Leewald. I'm one of the writers on the series and I got to do an episode in the first 13, um, part one of of, uh, Days of Future Past. Yes. As this thing, as, as the train is leaving the station, Marvel at this point was based out of New York City. This is in the early 90s, maybe fax machines if you were classy and had the money, you know, every, basically stuff was snail mail back and forth. Their headquarters were there. Margaret's deal with them was, believe this or not, that Marvel did not have final say on the stories. Uh, Fox was our boss. And, and there are a number of times where we get notes from Marvel saying they didn't, they didn't much care for a story. And we just say, you know, uh, I understand, you know, I'll, I'll do what I can to incorporate your thoughts, but now we're going forward with it. Sorry. And which, then, <laughs> which is yeah. not which is not the way anybody deals with Marvel. No, no. I mean oh, that. Yeah. Yeah. So as the first, the, as the only thirteen episodes were were getting set up, Marvel was getting more comfortable with what you and Mark and and the artists were doing, and and the balloon got floated. Well, okay, uh, you guys want to do one of our, you know, special, jewels in the crown. Yeah, you want to do one of our crown jewel episodes. And I was just dumb enough to go, well, sure, that sounds like fun, as opposed to panic going, no, this is going to kill us. Yeah. And then, oh, but by the way, if you're if you're familiar with uh, Chris Claremont and John Burns, you know, yes, iconic Days of Future Past oh, yes. books, well, uh, it doesn't star Bishop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. No, uh, and and it's it's Kitty Pride and yes. uh, crap, you know, you we weren't allowed to use we weren't supposed to use kitty pride because of the problems pride of the x-men um but by the way uh having someone travel back in their minds you know in a spirited kind of fashion is not easy to animate so it's okay send back an actual mutant time traveler physical thing well who are those people and you know yeah bishop so do do our one of our crown jewels but with different people in different way yeah, you keep the spirit of it, but <laughs> but make it fit, but make it fit your arc, and that and they were very understanding about that. They yep. they did not want to. I think they were just thrilled that they were getting a licensing fee. I mean, they were they were <laughs> struggling. They were a smaller company. 
Yep. They were they headed towards bankruptcy yes. in three years. Yeah. And they just the fact that that they'd seen previous Hollywood attempts at at, at some of their characters not work out so well. Yep. And yep. so the fact that we we all seem to be show a certain a respect to to the, their their stories and 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 the and the spirit of the of the books. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, they seem they seem pretty happy with it and. And as I say, obviously, once it was successful, I mean, the first season, everybody had their two cents worth to throw in. And there was a, a lot of creative arguments, struggles, discussions, whatever. Because with animation, you're waiting those six months to fight to see something. And if it's a live action show, you can see it that evening. Yeah. You, know, you, can, you can just watch the rushes of what you shot. With animation, you write this whole 13, an entire season of a show before you see a foot of animation. And so everybody has is taking your word for it that the stories are going to work and that the characters you've chosen are going to work. Yeah. You know, so that, that was tough. Yeah, there's there's so much goodness there. So one thing that I thought was h hilarious was that they wanted Wolverine to have an Australian accent. And now who is the most iconic Wolverine? Hugh Jackman. <laughs> Cal Dodd in Canada might claim our Wolverine that he is the most iconic. Uh, well, yeah. yes, 100%. I would say live action Wolverine. <laughs> there you exactly. go. There you Let go. me put that yeah. qualifier on it. Um, okay. But uh, Bub, if you will, right? And, <laughs> so, um, but I think it's interesting that you talk about the 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 hesitations folks had about about the X-Men because I have to remember I mean I was not aware of a world in which um, X-Men weren't highly popular right so I grew up in a world where it was the X-Men was a household name um, and being irritated when they had a 2000 movie that did not have Wolverine in yellow spandex and Cyclops in blue and yellow right and, and on and on um, but the X-Men when, when I became such a huge fan of the X-Men through the TV series and when I started reading the comics and working my way back and realizing the timeline of like when you're when they're constructing the show and what was going on in the comics I mean I, I it was I won't say a lesser known property because um, uh, Chris Claremont and John Byrne made that such an incredible series um, but I would say if you're lifting and shifting a, a Marvel property, folks may not have rushed to X-Men with the same vigor as like a Spider-Man or um, I'm trying to even, or a, well, Captain America wasn't even as Hulk. popular. Yeah. Hulk. But yeah. The Incredible Hulk. Yeah. Yeah. If you'd ask people on the street in 19, in 19, December, 1991, name me five superheroes. You'd probably get, um, Oh, Batman, uh, Superman. They might've thought of Wonder Woman, probably Spider-Man. And then they start to go, Oh, 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 oh the Incredible Hulk. Right, because the TV series. I yeah. have gotten a single person we, to have named an X Men casually on the street. We, yeah, they we, were not in the public consciousness. We, we were warned that when we did the show that eighty-five percent of the audience that turned in Saturday morning wouldn't know who the X Men were at all. That at there'd all. be a couple million comic book fans that would know right off and would be would be ready for it, but says the other eight million, you know, that that ended up tuning in, it was new to them. And realize again, there was and no what's internet. The, there and was what, no you know, what's a, what's, way a, to what's a mutant? How do they interact with people? Yeah, so that's man. why the first season was kind of we were trying to carefully set the world up yep. about who people are and what mutancy is and why it's bothering the humans around them, and all these questions which seem really basic, like X Men One Hundred One, to anybody that's read the books. But we have we. We're, are, we were given the, the task of making it clear to somebody that's absolutely new to them. 
and uh, just take a moment here to shout out to Larry Houston and Will Minio for what is now the iconic opening for X-Men. We can all hear the song in our head. We see the image behind us there mm-hmm. yep. and you're hearing yep. the music. But the um, that opening sequence is 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 a brilliant, brilliant economy yeah. in introducing people who have never heard of these characters. Don't know what their the powers. Yeah, don't know what the powers are, don't know what they can do, don't you know what, what's going on. But if you watch it with an eye toward okay, who are these people? What what is this world I'm entering? It's there, it, it's it's you're carefully led. You're shown each major character, each, you know, each a power ability. Um, you're showing it, it, everything right there. The fact that the yeah. humans don't like them, you know, the fact that there are other mutants that aren't happy. It's it's a brilliant, brilliant piece of, of, of cinema, I think. Yeah, one, yeah. one, one minute distilling the, the show because we had a great discussions about that. Do you put uh, a narration in, uh, in them? Hey, we're the X-Men. Da, 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 da. We're mutants and you know, atomic. Blah, blah. So, for, for the record, Stanley was pushing for that. Yeah, he was pushing hard. for that, and we every I can see that wrote wrote uh, narrations, and mm-hmm. we all threw them out and said, "No, this isn't right." And uh, so, I mean, that was that was a about a couple week fight because Stan really wanted to be narrating. He wanted to narrate the whole show from beginning to end. Well, there's some well, like. 70 like the, i think it was what the fantastic four was in the 70s and you had silver surfer yeah. as well maybe it wasn't silver surfer but maybe it was fantastic four and something else that had that kind of narration style over it and they had like the audio dramas that had some narration over it and like the fantastic four the marvel's first family and like it just yeah. doesn't have the same tone no, that no, you're it's, going it's, for. it's younger it, it can work it, it's not it's yeah. not like it can't yeah. work but it just it didn't fit the x-men comics in 1992 you know this yes they were fierce they were very these are a bunch of like 30 year olds yes. fighting super oh, supercharged super villains and they looked like they wanted to like rip each other apart in mm-hmm. the books i mean it was it was these like r-rated intensity violence that the books had kind of built to by 1992 right so you know we're we're looking and say, well if you want us to be true to the the books a we don't want the x-men to be fighting over nothing we don't we don't we want consequences we want these people to be real heroes there need to be authentic stakes here yeah and so we want this to be in a we want there to be adult problems and adult crises and adult grief in this show so that, that that's why we all mark and i decided we have to kill somebody the first episode first story and kill a, a kill a lead to show everybody that the, the being an X-Man is not a casual choice. That I mean, this is a hero's yeah. journey. Yeah. And then when you yeah. see that, I said, you are out of your mind. <laughs> I mean, you can get a, a kid's show. I mean, mm-hmm. um, spoiler alert to anybody who hasn't heard. This is like about a 10-year spoiler alert, so I feel okay, but I will still disclaim it. Game of Thrones spoiler yeah. alert. You were games of Game of thrones before Game of Thrones was a thing, right? I mean, you're killing <laughs> off lead characters right off the bat. You no, no regard for anything. And that's what's so interesting, too, is the fact that, like, I remember having really good in-depth conversations about our society and our makeup and trying to understand the like us versus them mentality and the otherness that we label uh, ascribe to people through the lens of X-Men. And that's that's the sign of a great art, right, is the ability to have these fantastic conversations through a medium that we're all drawn to. I've got to know, though, how did you come up with the original cast of characters? OK, well, well. <laughs> uh, two or three were agreed upon by everybody. There's uh, but. 
looking at the, we have a piece of art here, which is a famous Neil Adams poster for, yes. uh, for yeah. an early shot for the X-Men. That's oh, what you can that's see. wonderful. Every yes. It's not on there. Jean Grey is Jean not on Gray. there. So, yeah, it's not on Basically, there. what we started with, you've got, got Marvel and Fox. Fox are the TV stations. You know, Fox is interested in having compelling characters. Marvel's interested in pushing certain people and not pushing other people. And the writing staff is saying, well, we want to have the the best eight or nine to be able to write our stories with. So there was there were discussions and everybody agreed that Gene and Scott are at the center of it. This they, guy right there. There you go. <laughs> I've got a little Cyclops here that I was, uh, you can't see on the podcast, but it was a character and, I was given. And every, yeah, and everybody wanted Storm. And there were a couple characters that were were fairly new to Marvel at the time that they, everybody agreed we needed a, a teenager. So they didn't want Kitty Pride because of the issue with the previous thing that had failed. So but as a way into Jubilee the Jubilee was popular. So at the real, time. real quick though, Kitty Pride. So so the you brought this up a second ago. So you didn't want to have Kitty Pride because the I, the Pride of the X Men that was written as a proof of concept didn't go over well. So you didn't want to have any ties to it. Is that is that what you were saying? Yes. Yeah, that's what okay. I'm saying. Is that they were aware of that nothing nothing is more radioactive in Hollywood than failure. Got it. And so Jubilee. Jubilee yep. Yeah, and, 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 series, and Jubilee was Jubilee was fresh and new, and yep. Marvel was, and Gambit was somebody new. So there's like four or five, and then we thought, well, they said, you know, you want to show Professor X a little cool, you don't have to. They Old, didn't think you'd need him. Didn't say you need him that much, and Jean, you know, show her. But I'm I'm sorry, I said Jean and Scott, just Scott. Jean right, was Jean was, Jean was a- like, uh, you know. If you want to show her much, fine. Or if you want Beast, we had Beast on thrown him in jail in the first story uh, because he was going to be a secondary character and that mm-hmm. we might not see him that much. But then we, late, as Mark Edens and I laid out the first 13 stories, we realized Xavier was absolutely crucial to the mm-hmm. whole idea of getting to know who the X-Men were and why they existed. So, okay, he's, he's really a lead as well. Okay, and then Gene... We just discovered everybody had a really important relationship with her in a way that they didn't with anybody else. And so she was this this emotional glue, this heart of the team. And okay, so she asserted herself. And then Beast. Beast, oh, we, on the writer's side, he was just so much fun to write for. But uh, from an important mutant standpoint of the whole team, he was the most obviously other he was the one of the mutant team who couldn't walk down the street casually without folks you know, turning their head. And that guy's obviously a mutant. Right. The others right. didn't have that. The others burden, could pass. But yeah. he, that was his burden. And yet in his way, he was, he was the smartest. He was the most erudite. He was in a way the most comfortable in his mutation uh, until we got to sort of poke at that with a couple with an episode or two, uh, which I thought were just, nicely yeah. done so, so yeah so there's and beast he was like i said fun to write for using the bartlett's quotations yeah. book because yeah. there was no internet and if we wanted him to quote somebody we had to look it up in a book so, so that's how the team grew and our and as as from the writing staff since we were able to, we were given this freedom to to make some of these decisions the the thing that just hit us he said was we want these people to be as distinct from each other as possible that was the diversity that we were ferociously mm-hmm. focused on not that we cared about gender or race or you know whatever we were just trying to get we you know we revered the 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 character design in winnie the pooh they're completely different characters every single one of them 
versus say G.I. Joe, which can be fun, but it's just like seven Joes. Right. They're interchangeable Joes. And writing writing serious scripts, you want you want the Winnie the Pooh kind of diversity. You want completely different people who it would only be a beast line, it would only be a rogue line, it would only be a, a, a cyclops line. And that made the writing so much easier. Also, each of them with their individual power, they each had a very big animatable cinematic power, but they were different. And uh, the, there were characters who could fly. There were characters who could throw things. There were, all the characters could you know could knock stuff so, over. So diversity of powers as well, mm. and, and and animatable powers. The, uh, so so those were all elements of choosing one person over another. I mean, we we laughingly talk. We could have had, you know, uh, uh, Wolverine and Colossus and Thunderbird and Cable. Cable, and we could have had like six or seven big gruff guys just beat on people. Yeah. And no yeah. women and and no, you know, just they would have they would have gone for the you know, that would have been possible. In fact, we we would uh toy companies gave us trouble on other shows where they said, Oh, you're you're writing too many female characters, yeah. they don't sell. Wow. So, uh but it happened that by looking for this diversity in character, we got a diversity of gender. We got you know, Jubilee's half Asian, uh, right. Storm is right. African. Um and I don't know if you know the, the story. Len Weens told the story about that. The reason that the, the 75 and onward X-Men are from all over the planet, I mean, which the in, in the, the books, it included a Russian Colossus, a German Nightcrawler, et cetera, mm -hmm. and African Storm, was that the first group of X-Men from the early 60s uh, it was just a bunch of white teenagers. They were yeah. teenagers. Yeah. White American teenagers. Yeah. teenagers. Yeah. And when the book failed in 1970 and went into reprints, uh, they let it go for a few years. And then when they're looking around for something to do, they said, wait a minute, we're selling some reprints of the, these old X-Men books, but they're selling better overseas. When you re resurrect them, Len, why don't you start thinking about making it more of an international cast, more of a UN kind of thing? And so that's how the diversity of the X-Men came about. Some accountant noticed they were selling reprints overseas a little better so okay diversify the cast geographically now had nothing to do with gender it yeah. just, just, just make wolverine canadian then that's why canadian that's why Len we made wolverine canadian because this guy had said well if you if you're going to redo the x-men we want them from all over from different countries Boom, Wolverine's Canadian. You gotta analyze the data and then it's gonna lead you to a to a solution, right? No. It was I, right. It I, I loved the um diversity of experiences, the diversity of perspectives as a as a kid and as a growing up, you know, a teenager that needed to relate to art and understand. I couldn't relate to these like big rough and, and tumble guys that were in all of these shows, but I could relate to these different different strengths, different powers, different perspective characters of of quote unquote misfits who come together have a found family and help each other. And you get this sense that they are, that they understand that at times it's a losing battle, but that they're trying to make the world a little bit better and trying to make it a safer place for others such as them. And that is insanely relatable and it's wonderful. And I've, I've got to give credit to one of the things that I, every time when I rewatch the X-Men that I'm 
instantly drawn to is the episodes where you have deep conversations and philosophical conversations between Magneto and Professor X. And when you had that in the comics, that was the glue that told the series because you have these two guys that on a some level, their goal is the same. They're trying to make the world safer for their own kind, but their perspectives are so different that it just, this, this discussion is like, I love it. So walk me through the, the writing of those types of um, discussions and then the decision to really put the focal point between Magneto and Professor X for almost like the crux of the series. And and let me jump in here before we forget, uh, talking about uh, being allowed to to uh, showcase a character's death in a children's animated show on Saturday yes. morning or allowing any of these characters to to have the kind of inner angst and turmoil that they that they suffered from. Uh, there was a broadcast standards and practices person at Fox Kids, and her name was Avery Coburn. And she could have sunk us before you even got on the air. She have shut all this down. Because she had absolute say over what got on the air at Fox for all the shows. That was her job. But she understood what the X-Men could be. And you, after I said, you're never going to get clearance for what you want to do with the pilot, you worked it out with her and she understood what this was. This wasn't gratuitous. This wasn't casual. Yeah. Yeah. This was going to show how this affects these people. Yeah. And uh, so then the fact that you can have the kind of conversations you have between uh, Professor X and, and Magneto, even though those happen in the comic books and all that, but she she was the one who understood what the bigger picture was and, yes. and why that was important. Why to that show. tension needed to be there. Mm -hmm. And yeah, there were two or three things that that, re that relationship, I think is the most important, the most important single thing of the whole show. Oh my God. Yes. It really holds the show together. When we, when we quick or Mark and I quickly looked at as many uh, books as we could uh, comic books as we could those first couple days. And we're trying to decide what the focus of the series is going to be. Um, we noticed there seemed to be two trends over the 30 years of books. Um, one was was a was a more generic. Uh, you've got superhero good guys and supervillain bad guys, and who's going to beat who? And it's, it's just kind of like live wrestling, right? Which we you know, love. Which, yeah, and it's it's an undercurrent in in all. I mean, and their endless fascination for the readers. You know, okay. Who's stronger, the Hulk or the Thing? Mm -hmm. Right, and right. What's, all that—that's there, and that's very much being an eight-year-old boy. And that's—I I get all that. But for us in our thirties, we're staring at okay. The the other thing that that we could see woven throughout a lot of the books was this mutants trying to get a sense of their place in the world. Yeah, and that we just found immensely fascinating. And what I think. The thing that made the Xavier and Magneto relationships so intense was, besides the fact they loved each other, which yeah. is just yeah. you know great, the fact that both of them were, you know, you respected each of them, and we really wanted to play that. Okay, this is the most important villain of the whole series. We don't want him to be just some sort of drooling psycho. We want people to understand that you know, that if the X-Men might follow him, you know, that he's persuasive, he's got, that the reasons people are scared about the other, especially the other who can pick up a, you know, a bus and throw it through a building, right. that right. it's, his position was a reasonable position. And we constantly made, I mean, we immediately made reference to the uh, 
Martin Luther King, Malcolm X duality of the 60s. You know, we are all children of the 60s, most of the people that worked on the show. And that was very much in the back of our minds that these were two very, these two brilliant, sincere men who had very different ideas of the way to solve a very important problem. And, uh, and we even, uh, you know, have a t- chance where Magneto gets to have his own asteroid. Yeah. And he gets yeah. to have this separatist way of, of solving the problem. And that would have worked for him. And, 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 and or could have worked. Could have worked for him. But, you know, utopias don't last, whatever. It's, it, it breaks your heart. But having the two of those, those guys being so uh, respectful of each other, despite the fact that they dedicated their their lives to working against what the other one believed in and i'm going to jump in here that that just it that's yeah. that's yeah. the heart and soul yeah. of the show for for the, the writers the genius in the in the pilot episode the first two-parter was the emphasis wasn't on good uh, mutant versus bad mutant it was the human beings who are not mutants are terrified of the mutants and and that reaction and that behavior is what's forming these camps of mutants who are seeing society just draw back and be horrified by them. Yes. So by that, that was the core of why you had Magneto and why you had uh, uh, Professor X. It wasn't because they were just, I don't like you and I don't like you. It's like, right. no, there is this global issue and, and our people, our mutants are, are uh, being treated in very specific ways just because they're mutants. And how are we supposed to um, and, and, react to that? And obviously, Stan and Jack Kirby, who, who originated the book in the early 60s, they were young men during the Holocaust. Oh, yeah. They, When they wrote the first book in 1963, it was the middle of the civil rights struggle in the U.S. Right. They were aware of these overarching themes. They, it, was, it was real life to them. And I'm sure in their minds, it Someone just said, "Stan, we, you know, uh, the Justice League is selling a lot of books. Come, you know, come up with another team, damn it!" But, you know, and so, probably when they created them, I mean, they were just thinking practically: let's throw some people together. Uh, they've got different powers because of who knows some, you know, radiation of the week, mutation, you know, mutation, mutation, whatever. Get them going. Uh, we'll have a new book and hope with hope it'll catch on. Didn't quite catch on, whatever. So I'm sure. In the creating of the book, those two men, it was a practical thing, but the stories came out of a real place, out of things that they'd witnessed during their lives. And then with the 70s revitalization and the international uh, approach to the characters, to the newer characters, those were true children of the 60s there too, creating these characters. Len Wein, the the co-creator of of Wolverine, you know, all these people who 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 were watching the world change around them and reacting to it. You, you know, one thing that I loved when I did watch the the X-Men movies when they were released was the relationship between Patrick Stewart and, and Sir Ian McKellen playing Professor yeah. X Magneto because I felt that it was, and I understand that they approached it from their own perspective and, you know, whatever, whatever. But in my mind, they took the, the template of the foundation based in the animated series and then used that to form out the the in-person relationship because it feels like a natural extension of that series. And that's, that is the most interesting thing. Cause to your point, you can see people 
why they would follow Magneto. And in fact, in the days of future past, Magneto has become the leader and the, the caretaker of the remaining alive mutants. And you see, you go, this is a logical decision. Of course, like this is a natural thing that would happen. And it's just, it, that is beyond anything else. That is the most interesting and fascinating discussion is, well, who's right? Well, they could both be right given the circumstances. It's just how do you identify and understand what the goals are? And that's what's truly compelling. And I think what allows this series to stand the test of time. Oh, but let's 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 talk about let's spend a couple minutes here before we wrap up talking about the wonderful book. So first of all, y'all just released. Uh, where is the uh, X-Men, the art and making the animated series? Yes, there it is right there. And then, Eric, you also wrote uh, previously on X-Men. Yep, there it is right. as well. <laughs> so let's talk about the books, writing the books, the decision to put the books together. And then also, have you have people started reaching out now that X-Men has been added to Disney Plus? What has that been that like really as well? Because we would meet people at cons and they say, well, we can't, you know, it's not on anywhere. We can't, we want to show it to our families. We can't show them. There had never been a Blu-ray release. There had never been a, a box set release of a series on DVD. Right. Uh, right. So for several, you know, like 15 years there, if you could find it on TV or online, good on you. But with the, re with the release on Disney X, Disney X, that's right, and Disney Plus, um like a year and a half ago yeah it's, it's all a blur that now. really helped yeah. that suddenly sort of supercharged but, things but back in 2015 when we when she nudged me into doing the first book um we just looked around there really wasn't anybody fox and uh fox tv and marvel were completely separate entities marvel had been bought by disney so they were actually competitors Nobody wanted to talk about X-Men, the animated series. No one about, place had the whole rights yeah, package. Yeah, there, there was a, the right vision, so nobody had any projects to do. It was dead in the water, and we just thought, well, this someone needs to write a history of this, and having been in the middle of it. So this the first book was without Marvel's help or permission or whatever we couldn't get him to answer our phone calls <laughs> but but I, I interviewed you know all the cast and the, and, and the artists and the executives and the writers and everybody we had the scripts and storyboards in the boxes above our garage right. we had the material to sort of awesome. create this oral history so so luckily i mean the show had been such such a hit that a couple of publishers that we talked to said oh yeah we, we published that book uh but you know we can't we can't we don't have the rights to pull to you know, say take anything off screen. We don't, you know, yeah. we can't make it, you know, color. So this is basically a really dense oral history. It's it is very dense. I love two hundred thousand words of of interviews with people like Len Wein and and Margaret Lesh and people that were were crucial in in the history of X Men. Cal Daw, the voices. You, that was yeah. our first time talking yeah. to the voice cast the voices, ever. The voice Whoa. the voice cast was recorded in Canada. And so we, we would we would write the scripts. They'd zip up. They'd fax them up there. They'd record them. We'd get audio cassettes, snail mailed to us. We'd make some notes saying, "Can you you know can you make the scene a little different?" They'd go back, and when they did the next episode, they'd make the adjustments on that one. But we we it was just in the hands of a Canadian voice director up there. And luckily, you know, we it we spent. We went through a whole a first casting session didn't work. It didn't sound right. It was like Scooby Dooish. Went through a whole another casting session um, and got the right people, and so kind of pushed it. Uh, 
but so all that all the history all that history is in this is in this first book about how it all came together and all the creative fights and uh talking to stan about you know he wanted to make it younger and he wanted to be more involved. whatever all those all the behind the scenes stuffs in that in the second so, so this came out in 2017 this came out in 2017 25th anniversary of the right. show's debut on and Fox so Fox. a year a year later we get uh, uh an anyway. email from some super high level guy at marvel global licensing yeah and they're all oh, damn are they coming after us for doing, <laughs> the, doing the book with that and we talked to the guys no 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 everybody in the office read it and loved it it's just the rights are coming back together with from fox fox and oh, marvel because right, this is when they were yeah. working on the purchase disney's buying everybody so, right. so the rights will be back together and we just think that this would make an amazing book with our with our help, you know, with permission to show all the, the artwork and uh, make it a, a beautiful color. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, so this is like a four pound coffee table book. That's yeah. With, that's with like 1300 uh, bits of art in it and new original art on the front and the back. And inside. And from, and inside from, from artists that worked on the show, that designed the show. They're still with us. And so they, they still can, have, they love the show like we do. So they so. contributed to the artwork here, but mostly it's cells that we found, and it's, uh, it's like character designs from each episode. Oh, wow, so that's episode. By episode. Yeah. That's that's Doctor Strange, and I'm pointing him out here. There he is, Doctor Strange. He shows up four times as an Easter egg throughout the series. <laughs> I did uh, not but, know that. Yeah, no one knows that. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, yeah, there you go. Yes, somewhere. This is the artists having fun. Mm -hmm. We they weren't legally allowed to do that, but of course, being artists, Larry Houston, yeah. decided, he tried to get Spider Man in in the first season, and they said well, you can't use Spider Man. So you don't have the rights. But but it, we're all one big family, right? No, no, you can't do that. But then on Slave Island, I think that's episode eight, mutant one, mutant two, mutant three, and so Larry just okay. He pulled art from the comic books, but he didn't label what the characters were. So if you knew what they were. And it made it pass legal because yeah, they didn't. Yeah. They didn't know if, the if, if he would draw Black Panther and just say African mutant. African mutant, yeah. And oh, on, on the story, it was so a black and all white. these all these characters got put in there. You know, the Punisher and Thor and the Watcher. They're all in there, but they're not. They're never. They never give it any dialogue, and they're never named. That's incredible. Doctor, in um, in the Phoenix, when when Jean Grey's in the hospital. Yeah, uh, and start, things start to go kablooey. Doctor Strange is the doctor running, and in, in his medical outfit, right. <laughs> running down the right. hall to the camera, terrified. You know? That's that's two of his appearances. But yeah, and he shows up as Doctor Strange elsewhere. I'm just thinking, if you like Easter eggs, good yes. God! Yeah. Oh, uh, that's so, fantastic. So those are the two books, the first one by a small California publisher, uh, Jacobs Brown, and if you if you buy it. Through the publisher online, online you'll get. They have signed copies. They had this down and signed four or five thousand of them. Perfect. So, so, and then the second one, Abrams, which is a, a larger New York publisher who specializes in uh, coffee table and beautiful art books. Um, they're they're available from a publisher well, but they, these they're both available on Amazon. There's a huge price discount on Amazon these days for, for each of the books right now. Yeah. Just being honest, we wish we could tell you to go to your local comic book store and buy the books, but this last year pandemic has just been brutal and yep. book distribution's and, been rough. And, and so. please, please try that because it is available at some, uh, the, the, the art book is available at some bookstores like Barnes & Noble or, or comic book stores have, can, have ordered it and many have. 
So it is something you could support a local bookstore with. Yeah. But worst, you know, worst case scenario, they're available from the publishers. They're available from Amazon, uh, and uh, they complement each other. As I said, uh, mostly all uh, artwork, mostly all the the history and all the the, the behind the scenes details of of what everybody went through for five years getting the show done. Mm -hmm. They are perfect companion pieces. We'll put the links in the show notes for people for sure. This has been wonderful. I want to I want to pivot to the uh, one of our last two parts of the show. So the first one is things to check out. So it's a segment where I uh, provide recommendations for the audience to check out. And I also ask my guests to provide a recommendation. So I've provided a recommendation for some books, which was teeing up the books of the wonderful books that y'all have. But a uh, podcast recommendation for if you're wanting more X-Men in your life, uh, Marvel Studios did a podcast, uh, Wolverine the Long Night and Wolverine the Lost Trail, I believe is the follow-up. So it's an audio drama. If you like that, um, it's very well done. I enjoy it. Uh, highly recommend it. So uh, Eric and Julia, do you have a recommend an additional recommendation of a podcast or a book or something that you would like listeners to check out? Oh, well, we, we've been enjoying uh, chatting up with, with people on podcasts, speaking with you tonight. Uh, we, we recently uh, spoke with the folks at The Nighttime Show, uh, episode 199. That, that's us speaking with Steven Kramer Glickman about uh, the X-Men. And uh, then we well, were with Marvel. Uh, we did the Marvel podcast, yeah. uh, uh, episode 499, with the good people at Marvel. Uh, um, and, and then our first our first really big, fun, major podcast we did after we did the first book, or when we were doing the first book, uh, was for Screen Junkies. Oh, Screen oh, Junkies. Nice. You get a chance. We love their and they did and they did a, a, a an episode instead of talking about a movie they did an episode all about the animated series and had us on to talk about it. That's awesome. they did the, the brilliant animated trailer you know uh, uh, screen, honest trailers for the animated series and it was really a kiss on the lips as opposed to a shot through the heart. It was very nice the show and they had us on right after to talk about it and then two years ago three years ago they had us on again. Uh, to to talk uh, about, about the X Men along with uh, Zach Stentz and uh, Hector Navarro about because Zach Stentz having written for the ser for the movies you know it was it was just a real fun oh and real quick real quick down there in Texas we it looks like we may be going to our first con in a year <gasps> and San, a in San Antonio wonderful in, uh, the in first week of uh, first week of August. It's it's not locked down. It's not yet. locked down yet, but we're talking to them about going, and it would be uh, Celebrity Fan Fest at Six Flags over San Antonio. Uh, it runs July thirtieth through August eighth. We may be there August sixth through August eighth. And hey, you're just there in Bedford. That's right, San Antonio. Three minute trip, right? Exactly. That's right. Down there. <laughs> I love it. Oh, this has been wonderful. I do always have to. So at the end of the show, I give a dad joke of the week. So it's a segment where I hurl dad jokes at my unsuspecting guests in an attempt to get them to laugh while the audience groans. Yes. Uh, and also, if they can, if people want to find us or follow us. Yes. We will okay. do. I'll, I'll circle back on that. Um, I do. Have, I do have one joke. I found a, a few, but for time's sake, I'll limit it to one. Um, uh, why don't the X Men let Colossus participate in their talent shows? That, I don't. I don't know well, why. Be, because he always steals the show. Because uh, he always. Uh, 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 that's uh, bad, okay. Bad. All right. Very so, good. Yes. Yes. Okay, my, my, my personal favorite dad joke I like that. That's pretty good, actually. Um, why? Why doesn't Magneto wear fuchsia? Ooh, I don't know why. Because the days of fuchsia passed. I'm sorry. That's, that's, that's oh, bad. well that's done. Well done. But yes, if people want to follow you and see what you're up to, what's the best way for them to do that? 
Uh, I'm on Twitter way too much representing, and we are at X-Men TAS, which we call X-Men the Animated Series. So X-Men TAS is our shorthand for the show. Uh, also on Facebook, also on Instagram, and we are getting our website up and running, uh, hopefully in, yeah. within the next few weeks. So please try and find us, X-Men TAS. You know, we're just trying to have fun and be nice and have enjoy fond memories of the show. Perfect. Well, Twitter can be an ugly place, but oh, that's... <laughs> well, thank you both so much. This has been truly, truly delightful. I've been looking forward to this for a very long time. Did not disappoint. Oh. I'm super excited. Thank you so much for being gracious with your time. Thank, thank you. you so much. This was a lot of fun. Thank You're you. welcome. Well, listeners, you've been detoxing with Detox. Now go and make a more inclusive world. If you know of an interesting person or story that needs to be told, please reach out to me at detoxpodcast at gmail.com. That's D-T-A-L-K-S podcast at gmail.com. You can also reach out via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at detoxpodcast or visit detoxpodcast.com. Also, be sure to leave us a five-star rating on iTunes if you like the show. It only takes a few seconds and it really helps us out. Link is in the show notes. Finally, thanks for listening. Please come back next week when we'll have another interesting conversation. And special thanks to my producers, Ben Lawant and Galan Aldaco. Without your help and support, this show wouldn't be possible. Thanks so much, guys. Detox is a production of Vocal. For more information and more programming, please visit vocalnow.com. That's V-O-K-A-L-N-O-W.com.